from the Utah School Counselors Association, this is The Sounding Board, where school counselors share ideas. I'm Nate Webb, school counselor, USCA board member, and every week I'll be speaking with different counselors and professionals that will be giving us valuable information in our counseling world. We cannot wait for you to hear these ideas. Let's get to it. All right, everybody, welcome back to the sounding board from the Utah School Counselors Association. Today, we have one of our awesome sponsors with us today. Um, Dr. Jeremy Cottle is the Chief Executive Office Managing Director for Provo Canyon Behavioral Hospital in Orem, Utah. He holds a doctorate in counseling, education, and supervision, and serves on numerous mental health advisory boards in the state of Utah. And we're so thankful to have you here on the show today. Welcome, welcome. Thank you, Nathan. I'm super excited. Uh, it's it's an honor to be here and to meet you. I'm just a counselor, but I'm super, super excited for all the counselors listening to learn a little bit more about what you guys do over um, at Provo. Um, oh my gosh, Provo Canyon Behavioral Hospital. Yeah. I, you know, the, the, the great thing I think is in my career, I've had the opportunity to be both on the school side I started my career early working with case managing troubled youth and then um, worked for a middle school and an elementary as a teacher's aide. And then in my master's program, I interned at a middle school, junior high, and was able to work with school counselors closely, which um, for me, um, when I first started as a professional, I guess as a kid, my, my idea of the school counselor is someone that would guide me and tell me what classes I need to take next so that I can graduate or help me find scholarships. Mm-hmm. And since, you know, beginning my professional career and, and through my early um, career years working in the schools, just the amount of work that school counselors do and the amount of responsibility and the lives they touch is just grand, has a huge impact on our, on our children. And, you know, I know over the last few years, and uh, this is more your expertise, is um, how it's expanded into mental health and, and other areas. So very good. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot more that goes into this counseling than schedule changes. <laughs> that a lot of good things. Um, now, what, now, what do you guys do over there? Over at, over at, so it, it's a hospital is right. it specifically for those who are like suicide ideation, mental yeah. health watch? What do you guys, what do you guys do deal with over there? Great question. So, um, and, and part of it is we go through this. I'm also going to go through the levels of care. I think it's important as, you know, school counselors or professionals to understand the different levels of care and not only how we fit in those levels of care, but in making referrals. Um, how to be able to identify the levels of care that a student or a family might need. Mm-hmm. Um, we um, are a specialty hospital, and um, there's some hospitals that do general work, like you have your med surge, and they may have oncology and you know general um, general med and ERs and psychiatry in those hospitals may include. And then there's specialty carve-outs, which we are, and our focus is solely uh, on psychiatry, psychology, and helping individuals with mental health. So how we um, got started is um, I feel fortunate that I was able to, I'm from Utah, um, did a lot of my professional career outside of Utah and Texas, Southern 
um, United States and um, even in New Jersey prior to coming back to Utah. But certainly on coming back to Utah, just a little bit of history, I quickly realized that there's just not enough inpatient acute um, beds. And so I worked um, for an agency that we'd oftentimes make referrals to hospitals for that level of inpatient care, someone that is a danger to themselves or others, and found out that there's just a huge waiting list. Um, mm -hmm. So people were waiting days and weeks, sometimes in ERs. And so in starting this hospital, we started in 2011, opened at the end of 2011 and been going strong ever since. Our goal was to fill the gaps in mental health in our community. And with um, the, our hospital, we're 80 beds. We serve um, adolescents starting at 12 years and we go through adults and older adults and we have distinct units for each of those groups and then different specialty tracks that someone might enter as they, they come through. Now, ideally our goal is not to have people come to the hospital, it's to treat them at lower levels of care, um, certainly out in the community. And then we have outpatient programs that can um, engage people hopefully early on with their mental health, all the way from medication assessment management to outpatient therapy to intensive outpatient. And I'll talk a little bit more about that when I talk about the levels of care. Well, let's kind of dive into that with the levels of care, because a lot of people just assume, okay, uh, you're struggling. Let's, let's take you to the hospital, take you to the ER. Um, and I don't think a lot of people realize that there are tiered levels of care, like you said, where, you know, people are given the care that they need, but also something that can incrementally help them get to a good place to where they don't need to be at the hospital anymore, giving them coping skills and different things like that. And so let's talk about those levels of care for a second. Yeah, great. And, and you're exactly right. You know, as we look at the levels, we, we um, certainly, as we assess someone, we want to make sure that we're, um, they're entering the least restrictive and the best level of care for them at that time. And the level of cares goes all the way from just traditional outpatient to um, hospital or especially hospital, um, which we are. So um, I'm gonna start kind of to structure this and be able to visualize it in descending order from the highest um, to the least. And certainly our goal is to engage individuals out in the community at the lowest level as soon as possible. So like you said, oftentimes when someone's in need of mental health, it's gotten to a point that it's acute, um, that they are either not functioning, they've attempted suicide, they're having thoughts of suicide, or they may be um, having some psychosis for various reasons. And um, oftentimes the first entry is the emergency room. They go to the emergency room, get assessed, and then the level of care is kind of determined from there. Mm -hmm. In Utah, um, interesting enough, um, there's not a lot of outpatient psychiatrists. And um, you know, just for everyone out there, oftentimes I'm asked, what's the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist? I think when it comes to therapists, that's a little bit more distinctive. 
but the psychiatrist, of course, is the one that assesses the medical doctor and prescribes medication, mm-hmm. or the psychologist is the one that does the testing. And I know school counselors certainly get that as they set um, several psychological assessments and diagnostics up for their students. Yeah, we joke around that psychiatrist or psychologist that went to med school. <laughs> that's, uh, that's funny. I, I know several that would, um, would laugh at that. Um, anyway, and then we have certainly therapists. So, um, our, the highest level of care certainly is the inpatient. And so if someone goes, um, like you were saying earlier, danger to themselves, danger to someone else, they haven't been able to function. Just the traditional outpatient isn't getting them where they need to go. And it's that higher level. Um, they will come into the hospital and, um, unique about specialty hospitals is we don't necessarily have an ER, but we do have an assessment center. So someone can come directly in or mm-hmm. be made from directly from a school counselor, a parent, a physician. And then we will do that level of assessment needs assessment and then refer them to where they need to go. Um, of all the individuals that present to us, about only 40% um, end up inpatient. Really? And, yeah. And, you know, they they may be able to go to our lower level of care. And like I was saying before, there's just not a lot of psychiatrists here in Utah. Um, And so there's not a lot of outpatient support. So by de facto, a lot of the pediatricians and primary care physicians have kind of become the psychiatrist um, out in the community. And so... um, And so that's, I do think that we have people that end up in higher levels of care just because we don't have that robust um, referral out in the community. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's interesting, the Kim Gardner Institute up at the University of Utah did a a study back in um, 2019. And in that they pointed out, I think we're 36th in the country for out of states for funding on adolescents and 51st for adults. Yeah, Utah's not doing great in that <laughs> in that category. Uh, mental health in general, um, are, yeah, Utah could, there's room for improvement. We will put it that way, um, to put it lightly. Now, when, when people think about your, you know, about your hospital and about all the things you do, what are some of the, I don't know, the best kept secrets, the things you wish people knew more about that shouldn't be secret about your place? Oh, for sure. A lot of times when individuals come our way, it's their first time getting inpatient psychiatric care. It's not scary. They're on units, just like in a, in a regular hospital. Um, you know, there's a treatment team approach with doctors, um, therapists, nursing staff, uh, um, you know, rec therapists, um, the list goes on, pharmacists. And so it's a whole group of individuals with the patient or the individual and family at the center of that making treatment decisions and working to get better. And I think that's the biggest thing I tell people is it's not as scary as sometimes it seems. Right. I know a lot of people think, oh, mental hospital, the white walls, the rubber rooms, the straight jackets, the, you know, all the horror films or whatever it's looking at. I know it's, it's, that is definitely not the case. Now let's say, okay, someone's there and they're getting to a point where they're okay to be, to be discharged. What kind of process is it like before you can go home? 
Yeah, so that's a great question. So number one, and, and it might help to kind of, um, this is kind of how I tell families about um, psychiatric hospitalizations. It's kind of like a psych, overnight psychiatric ER. You mm -hmm. know, if you break a leg, um, you go into the hospital or into the emergency room, right. they're going to check it out. They're going to x-ray it. They're going to decide, you know, do we need to do surgery on it? Do we need to cast it? Um, do we just need to immobilize it? You know, so they diagnose it, they assess it, and then they start the treatment. And then they send the individual out for that further treatment. Well, the same is in psychiatric hospitals. People come in, we do the assessment. Um, we, we, we um, you know, set a course of treatment, begin that with the individual, and we start that treatment, and then they go out for that further work. Um, and so for us, um, and, and, you know, just in general, the important thing is making sure that there's a solid discharge plan where they, they are going out, and if they're on medications, continuing with a physician um, so that those medications can continually um, be looked at to see if they need to be continued, if they need to be increased, or if they can go off them, of course. And then certainly to continue that therapy. Uh, many times people who come in here are in, in crisis, and so um, we try and get that crisis mitigated and um, set aside enough that that longer term work can be done outside of the hospital. Gotcha. And so like before someone can go home, do you make sure, all right, are there therapy plans? We have the safety plan, different things entailed for each. I know it's probably like personalized, individualized for each person. Yeah, exactly. And so as you know, and as you mentioned, safety plans are a big part of, of that, um, having those appointments in place so that they can do that quick follow-up. Um, you know, one of the things that we noted a while ago um, in working with some of the school districts, in fact, um, we worked originally with um, Miriam Campbell and um, Darren and Dr. And they're from the um, Provo School District. And then Dr. David Wood, who's at BYU, um, we noticed that kids were um, coming back to the hospital. And our goal is not to have them come back. And so we were kind of looking at why, um, and it wasn't just our hospital, but any hospital, they might go to one hospital and get discharged, and then there's a failure of some sort. And what we saw as the common link was, um, was issues at school, whether it was concerns about grades, whether it was falling behind, whether they were having peer difficulty or a difficult with the with, with other, you know, their peers. Um, but, um, and so what we wanted to do is we wanted to look more into that and mitigate that. And out of that, we developed um, what's called a return to school program. So although when we're done originally and how hospitals have been set up historically is really trying to mitigate the crisis that the individual brings in and then set up that safe environment. Well, people have multiple environments that they go back to. And certainly for students, a big one, as you know, Nathan, is the school. Yes. And, <laughs> yeah. And so what we were seeing is a lot of it was either kids would go back and the same thing would happen or something different. And then they'd come back or um, they would just drop out of school altogether. Mm -hmm. 
And so what we did is we developed this program where we work with um, school districts and when the, in, when the students getting ready to leave, instead of them being gone in a hospital for a week and then all of a sudden they show up at school, nobody knows where they've been. Teachers are saying, you know, where have you been? Uh, their peers are saying, where have you been? The last thing they want to say is, I was in a, hospital, a psychiatric hospital getting um, treatment. And so what we did is we kind of took a step back from that and wanted to set up an appointment in the school um, prior to them going back and um, letting the school have a little bit of time to work with that individual to identify, you know, what are the difficulties they're having and mitigate those. And then if needed, um, give the tools that a 504 plan or an IEP could be started as appropriate as the school and the and the family decide. And then on top of that, making sure that we had a separate safety plan for in school. And so we, we started that initially with Provo School District and now we've taken it out to Nebo Alpine. And this is something that we would love to see replicated across. So for the school counselors listening, you know, this is something um, that we would love to continue to take everywhere. It's a pretty comprehensive collaboration like taking the safety plan and then, you know, potentially making it so that we can, um, you know, adapt IEPs or 504s to help kiddos out that might need some of those accommodations to assist in their mental health. I think it's a wonderful thing uh, with that type of collaboration with outside resources, because a lot of schools, they give the excuse that there's not a whole lot of access to the outside resources. Um, and I mean, while that may be true in some cases, I think a lot of times it's kind of leaned on as a crutch for them to not have to do anything. Um, and so now that we know that there are things like you guys out there that are able to do a lot of this really intimate collaboration with school counselors, that opens the door for a lot of things. Yeah. So school counselors that are interested or schools that are interested, please, you know, don't hesitate to give us a call and we love to work something out. As you said, Nathan, it is a collaboration. So it does take um, kind of effort and coordination on either side to make, make it mm -hmm. successful. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you. This has been such an enlightening conversation. I love getting to talk to all these cool people like yourself, Dr. Cottle. Um, so any last words for the school counselors out there before we wrap things up? Oh, just appreciate what they do as a father of four with two that have graduated and I have one in middle school and one in elementary. The work that you guys do is amazing. Um, our children um, wouldn't be as successful without the school counselors. Um, your, your efforts, um, I think sometimes you wonder if you're following, you know, what, what you're doing is not really working. It is. And we see it. We see it here at the hospital. Um, some of our kids that come through say, you know, I, I feel closest to my school counselor at school, and that's the individual I trust. And that's because of all the great things you guys do. So use us. If you need help, give us a call. We're here and we're happy to help. Absolutely. And thank you to all of our wonderful listeners who are listening to today's episode. I hope you all have a wonderful day and we'll see you on the next one.
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Sounding Board. Email thesoundingboard at utschoolcounselor.org to send us your questions and ideas. If you like our podcast, please rate and review our show. It helps other school counselors to find us. Links and additional information for any references from today's episode are in our show notes. Check out our website at utschoolcounselor.org where you can listen to past podcast episodes, register for any of our professional development opportunities, and become a member of the Utah School Counselors Association. USCA members also receive a bi-monthly newsletter to stay up to date on current Utah School Counseling news, events, and issues. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Utah School Counselor and on Twitter at USCA Tweets. The mission of the Utah School Counselors Association is to support professional school counselors in their work for students through advocacy, professional development, recognition, and support. This podcast would not be possible without the support of our members. We'll have more ideas to share with you next week. Let's go.